Welcome everyone to the Predictably Treacherous podcast. Today's episode is Banachek, Project Phoenix. This is episode two of season one. This episode was directed by Richard T. Heffron and written by David Mossinger. The original air date was September 27, 1972. Let's get right to the episode summary. Banachek investigates the theft of an expensive concept car from the train that was transporting it. The crime. An expensive concept car is being strapped onto a flatbed car of a train during the cover of night. The concept car is supposed to somehow be crash-proof and worth about five million bucks according to the insurance agent supervising the transport. Several bumbling security guards will be accompanying the vehicle on its train ride to Boston, although they will be riding on a different train car, conveniently. Project Phoenix interesting name for an episode there are several project phoenix listings on wikipedia although most of them began after this episode aired including the seti program a south african national defense program a bbc news program and a hong kong football program but the most interesting is the phoenix program not the exact name, but I wonder if this episode title is a shout out to the Phoenix program. Here's what Wikipedia had to say about the Phoenix program. The Phoenix program was a program designed and coordinated by the United States Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA, during the Vietnam War, involving cooperation between American, South Vietnamese, and Australian militaries. The program was designed to identify and destroy the Viet Cong VC via infiltration, torture, capture, counterterrorism, interrogation, and assassination. The CIA described it as, quote, a set of programs that sought to attack and destroy the political infrastructure of the Viet Cong, unquote. The Phoenix program ran between 1965 and 1972, and it, quote, neutralized a euphemism for imprisoned, persuaded to defect, or killed over 81,000 VC. Speculation is that it killed between 26,000 and 41,000 people in total. The methods used were to capture VC, interrogate, and torture to get intelligence about more VC, then capture more VC, rinse and repeat. There were a series of congressional hearings on, quote, U.S. assistance programs in Vietnam, unquote, in 1971. So the Phoenix program would have been in the news, but to be fair, I don't see any obvious signals that this episode is intended to be a shout out to the Phoenix program. I mean, it's more likely that when choosing a name for the episode, they probably just thought the Phoenix or Project Phoenix was a cool sounding name and maybe that it evoked, um, you know, thoughts of renewal or rebirth or something like that. Um, there's a lot of information online about the mythology of Phoenix. Um, so that's interesting stuff, but it always seems to be wrapped up in the idea of renewal or, you know, being reborn, rising from the ashes, that sort of thing. So anyways, when the train stops, the guards get off and go to check the car, because again, remember, they're riding on a different car on the train. Very useful. The entire rail car with the concept car is missing from the train. The Banachek intro. Some security guys are investigating the train 
and the site and looking confounded and upset, Banachek arrives by helicopter. A bald dude says, Banachek, with contempt. Banachek exits, exits the helicopter and runs over to the caboose and goes inside. This, this, is, this is crazy. He just he comes in the helicopter, lands. Nobody's asking any questions. He just has free run of the place. He's running around. He's like this elitist who's just, uh, who just has access to everywhere. No one even questions it. Um, all right, so the bald guy goes over to talk with him, and he says, Hello, Banasek. And then he calls him a super pole. This is nice. They obviously um, have an adversarial relationship. Ball guy tells Banachek that he already spoke with the engineer and the brakeman and they saw and heard nothing. And the only helicopter big enough to haul the rail car away belongs to the army and they can verify where their equipment was at the time of the disappearance. The bald guy thinks it's industrial sabotage, meaning um, a rival car company. Banachek leaves in the chopper again, and he flies over the rail yard, and he looks through binoculars and uh, at a map, and the camera shows up uh, a waterway near the track. The helicopter lands, and Banachek gets into the limo with Jay. Nice. Okay, so Jay's bogus theory. Oh, whoops. Uh, they skipped it this episode. Why? Well, why didn't you just do it? Um, people like consistency. You got a new show. You're trying out your little tropes. You're trying to create and develop your little tropes. Just be predictable. It just seems sloppy. Like, why wouldn't you have a, a Jay's bogus theory? You had it a couple episodes in a row. And now suddenly you're, you're just bailing on it. I get that you're trying concepts and, and seeing how they go. It just doesn't seem long enough. Like you did it for two episodes. That's not long enough to decide whether it was a cool thing or not. Even if it's not a very good segment, like it's, it's people expect it. It comes up, Jay, he's in the limo with Jay. You're like, okay, here it is. They're going to do the Jay's bogus theory. Oh, it's so lame. They do this every time. But then suddenly it doesn't happen. And that's worse. Like even if it's lame, you would rather hear it because you expect it. Um, anyways, so they didn't do it this episode. The Polish proverb. So Banachek arrives at the bookstore to Felix reading about karate. He claims that there's a crime wave in Boston and that's why he's learning karate. Then we get the Polish proverb. Let's listen to the clip. Read the whole library, my son, but the cheese will still smell after four days. It's an old Polish proverb. Really? Well, maybe it just takes an old pole to understand it. No, it means that no matter how much you know, natural laws are natural laws, and you must put your faith in the Boston police. Your syntax leaves much to be desired, Thomas. Shall I correct it? Or would you rather hear what I know about railroads? Oh, boy. That, that proverb had absolutely nothing to do with the episode. It was just used as segue to... Um, Felix giving Banachek some information about trains. Like, you couldn't come up with a, a proverb that ties into the plot of the episode? Something that lends some insight into how the crime might have been perpetrated or how it'll be solved? Like, something? Something that ties in? Just, like, like you know, you didn't do the Jay's bogus theory proverb. Maybe you couldn't think of one this episode. But you did do the Polish proverb 
and it was terrible and it, it didn't tie into the episode at all it's just more inconsistency like i, I don't want to bash them the whole episode but it's sloppy it just you know you could feel like you get a couple of high school students who come up with a more cohesive and consistent storyline than this okay so banachek asked felix how you can uncouple the railroad car while it's running and felix gives him some research on r and w uh, a company horizon and reference works on railroad engineering so now banachek arrives at the office of doug ruderman the president of the car company ruderman says the only competitor that would have motive is horizon engineering so sorry ruderman is r and w concord was offering concord some other thing they were offering 15 million to the firm that comes up with the best safe car concept and horizon engineering's concept car was the next best thing after r and w after their car the phoenix then harry wexler the chief engineer um, he's convinced it's horizon they briefly discuss an ex-employee christine verdin who tried to leave with the plans for the front end suspension one day and she was fired so now banachek visits christine at her house on the beach so inside christine is working on a drill press she's extremely attractive um, she has like a crop top on and she's operating machinery it's like um, that benny benassi video for satisfaction where the girls are working with the drills and stuff shaking everywhere so anyways he knocks on the door to ask her some questions she tries to get rid of him and he gets pushy and aggressive so she lets him in that's a smart move they apparently met before and she thought he was a self-indulgent womanizer she's right she won't give him any answers he tries to ask her out for dinner but she rebuffs him and tells him to leave and then he does so now Banachek visits Mr. Cole of Horizon Engineering and he has some cover story um, that he's a reporter and he'll be putting out a magazine related to automotive safety and he wants to talk with Mr. Cole about it. So Cole gives him a tour of the facility. He says they're working on some front end suspension modifications to their next model. Banachek mentions the Phoenix and Cole calls him on his uh, bogus cover story. Cole tells Banachek that he stole some personnel from R&W, but not the Phoenix itself. He says he hasn't talked with Christine in two years since she left Horizon. She used to work there. The ladies' man. So now back at home, Banachek is assembling a model train when Christine arrives at his door. She apologizes to him for her behavior the other day. She's got that backwards she gets teary she's getting harassed by police and photographers and insurance agents she tells him her story from the beginning so her father was a race car driver um, and this uh, sowed the seeds of her interest in automobile safety she worked for horizon for five years and she says she was not taken seriously she was too good looking <laughs> she worked at rnw and she was leaving work one day a security guard grabbed her and she had blueprints in her briefcase but she doesn't know how they got there so they they fired her for it then she asked for him to take her to dinner 
and then they kiss. This is outrageous. He shows up at women's houses, acts like a jerk. Their only former impression of him is that he's a jerk. And then they kick him out. The next day they come over and they want to get with him. It's absurd. The what the hell is going on part of the episode. So now Banachek visits a laundromat to speak with an undertaker named Collier. I, I got, I, I'm not making this shit up. That is what he's doing. He's, he's gone to a laundromat to speak with an undertaker named Collier. It's a small town, and he is the undertaker and the laundromat guy. So Banachek asks him about a body a few days ago. Collier says it was a hit and run, and there was no identification on the body. So now Banachek is out on a dirt road where the accident took place. He's speaking with the sheriff who thinks the dead man was a hippie or a hobo. Every time the word hobo appears in anything, I think of that song. Like a hobo from a broken home. You know, the one. anyways. The sheriff asks Banachek why he's interested in the unidentified dead man. Let's listen to the clip. Oh, uh, can I ask you one question? Sure. Why all the interest in an old bum? Well, I knew the poison dog couldn't have done it. And I talked to three kids who were busted, and they have come down in about six months. That narrowed it down to him. That response from Banachek pretty much sums up how I feel watching the investigation portion of any Banachek episode. It feels like I have no idea why he's looking into what he's looking into or how he got where he is or why something's important. The pattern seems to be investigate random thing, investigate random thing, investigate random thing, the big reveal. It's unlike Columbo where you know what happened from the beginning and you get to see Columbo discover the truth. All right, so now at a hippie colony, Banachek shows a picture of the dead guy. They don't know who the dead guy was, and so he leaves. A hobo catches up to the car and tells Banachek who the dead guy was, Denver Sam. Denver went around with Whitey. The other day, Whitey came into camp afraid and without Denver. The physical skill. Banachek goes to the railroad to look for Whitey. He's there, and he runs, and Banachek gives chase, and he corners him in an empty train car. Banachek tells Whitey that he thinks Denver was murdered, then taken to the highway and dumped. Whitey says he and Denver were by the tracks. They heard loud noises. Then some guys came after them. They ran, and he never saw Denver again. Just then, the two guys who were looking for Whitey at the hobo camp this morning, arrive, and Whitey yells, It's them! And Banachek begins fighting them. Banachek kicks a guy in the face, and then he jumps out of the train car, and he's punching a guy, and he's running, chasing after them down the tracks, and getting punched by them. The train leaves, and Whitey escapes on the train car. Now back at R&W, talking with Ruderman and Waxler, Banachek asks Waxman why Christine was searched the day when she was fired. 
and Waxman says he found the blueprints missing and he had everyone searched. And now back at Christine's place, the door is open, so Banachek walks in. Christine is not there. He looks out the window, and she's in a parked car with Andy Cole having an argument. It seems kind of intimate, like they're in a relationship. She comes back in and explains that she and Andy were in love. He was married, and there are still feelings there, so Andy offered her a job, but he wanted to get involved with her again, and she says it's over. The get. Banachek calls Felix. Felix says the boxcars on either side of the flat car were leased to legitimate corporations. However, the car ahead of the flat car was leased to a firm that went bankrupt a few years ago. The firm belonged to R&W. So Banachek and Jay arrive at the abandoned plant of the bankrupt firm, and there's a car there. Banachek tells Jay to go for the police while he investigates. So Ruderman arrives in another car and enters a building. Banachek follows and he finds Ruderman, Waxman, and an engineer working on the Phoenix. Ruderman pulls a gun, but Waxler says it's over. The car doesn't work. He takes the gun from Ruderman and he shoots the car. <laughs> okay. So let's, uh, the big reveal. So now Banachek is talking with the two insurance guys, Andy Cole and Christine. And apparently, so this is in his house. Apparently the Phoenix had a revolutionary system, but it didn't work. So they staged the theft to buy some time to fix the issue. They framed Christine because they knew she'd eventually discover the vehicle's flaws. Let's listen to Banachek give the big reveal. Two days before the theft, a man leased this car claiming he was from Rensselaer, Tool and Die. Rensselaer, Tool and Die went bankrupt seven years ago. This was their base of operations. Their total manpower consisted of maybe half a dozen loyal and well-paid employees. The day before the theft, the train was assembled 300 miles north in Oldcastle. They had their car placed directly ahead of the flat car that was to carry the Phoenix. It housed, among other things, a hydraulic winch and a portable generator. A hole was cut in the boxcar directly ahead of the flat car and patched. After the theft, it was repatched and painted so nobody could spot it. At 10 p.m., the train was moved from Oldcastle to Middlefield, where R&W was located. The Phoenix was placed on board and chained. In a few minutes, the train was on its way to Boston, where it was supposed to be switched to a Detroit freight. Now, this is the lake. As soon as it got dark, a group of Wexler's men went to work right here. They pulled the spikes, removed a section of rails, and replaced it with a switch. Meanwhile, one of the men on the train climbed down the side of the boxcar. His job was to take the cable as it was released by the winch and carry it across the flat car to the boxcar immediately behind it. And then he attached the hooked end of the cable to the undercarriage of the trailing boxcar. In order to make it work, they had to string out the train. First, he uncoupled the trailing boxcar from the flat car. Then the other man turned on the winch and let the cable slowly play out, separating the train into two parts. Then they stopped the winch. He also took an automatic release catch and attached it to the cable, securing the flat car. The next step was to uncouple the flat car from the front boxcar. The winch was turned on again. And now the flat car, held by just the cable, was riding all alone between the two sections of train. The train was traveling about 40 miles an hour as it approached the lake. The instant 
The leading boxcar crossed the switch, it was thrown, and the flat car was instantly released. Now all they had to do was restore the tracks, drop the rear section of the train, and couple the two boxcars together. And I suppose they lifted the Phoenix off with a crane. It was part of the sounds that Whitey and Denver Sam heard when they almost stumbled on the men working by the river. They heard pounding, the restoration of the tracks, and then machinery, the chains being cut, and the car lifted off by a crane. All right, so the big reveal does a, a, does a really good job, actually, of interspersing clips from the actual crime, the one that the audience hasn't seen yet, uh, with this scene in the room where Banachek is using a toy train as a visual aid. And the entire reveal is done with a Banachek voiceover. It's very well done. Too bad it doesn't really translate to audio. It doesn't really work in a podcast, but I'm going to recap it here. So two days before the theft... A man leases the boxcar that will be in a position ahead of the Phoenix. Um, And he works for the company Rensler Tool and Die. That's the company that went bankrupt seven years earlier. The day before the theft, the boxcar is housed with a hydraulic winch and a portable generator. That is the one, the boxcar that belongs to Rensler Tool and Die. So they got a winch and a generator. Phoenix is placed on board uh, the trains and it's chained. The train leaves for Boston. By the lake, uh, they replaced a piece of track with a switch. So during the trip, they pull a cable from the boxcar with the winch across the car that's holding the Phoenix to the car behind it. And then they uncouple the whole train so it's in three pieces. So now they have um, the front part of the train is attached to the back part of the train and the middle is loose. So when they pass the switch, they just flip it, and then the middle part goes off to the side, and the first part of the train and the last part of the train, are they flip the switch back, so they stay on the one track, and then they, they use the winch to pull the train back together. So now it's in one piece again. So with the piece of the box car that, um, or the, the train car that had the Phoenix that is veered off now from the switch, um, they basically just fly off the Phoenix from a helicopter, and then they dump the boxcar into the lake. And that's it. So it's kind of a fun little... That's one thing about Banachek it's got going for it. It's, it's got some really wacky, uh, elaborate theft ideas that um, that really play out pretty well in the big reveal because they're kind of unbelievable, but that makes it that makes it pretty fun. So it was a decent episode. Um, I liked it. I, I know I've been very critical in this episode and other episodes, about how Banachek leaves you in the dark for most of the episode and then suddenly reveals everything at the end in the big reveal scene. Um, But in watching this episode, I did feel a little less in the dark at times. So I felt like the scenes where Banachek visited with R.W., sorry, R.N.W., especially when he was in Ruderman's office, they seemed really squirrely and it seemed fairly obvious they were lying about something. And then in the end, they they turned out to have orchestrated the entire heist, so it wasn't surprising. But then there was big, long scenes like I described when he goes to the hippie colony, and I don't know what the hell is going on. So there's still that aspect of it. I actually, in general as well, I, I also I really enjoy the look of scenes that take place in rail yards and abandoned factories. I think if, if you have a rail yard and abandoned factory in your movie or show, like I'm in. Um, it's just such a good scene to to shoot stuff because they're all abandoned. They're very industrial. uh, They're weird places. You should actually uh, check out the opening sequence of Les Bernstein's Night Train, 
1999. Um, it's a great rail yard setting. And check out the showdown scene from Paul Verhoeven's Robocop from 1987. Not the bullshit remake that just came out a couple years ago, but the original 1987. It's a fantastic movie for anybody who hasn't seen it. Anyways, they got a great abandoned factory setting at the end during the big showdown. The intro music for today's episode was Sweeter Vermouth, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Check out the link in the show notes. Next week on the Predictably Treacherous podcast, we'll continue with Season 1, Episode 3 of Banachek, No Sign of the Cross. Banachek flies to Mexico to investigate the theft of a rare Catholic cross. Tune in next week. Thank <laughs> you.